Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Amazing Race Rewind podcast, a podcast where we rewind back in time to watch the earliest seasons of the Amazing Race for the first time. My name is Andrew. And I'm Jill. And we're here today with our season overview, behind the scenes information extravaganza. Whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I think we owe you an apology. We said this would be out December 19th, and then a lot happened. Um, Andrew was in a multitude of countries. Yeah. International traveler. I got sick. Andrew got sick. There was then some national travel. And... (laughs) The recovery from illness. So a lot happened and we weren't able to film this, but we're doing yeah. it now. We apologize that it's late and season two should be up as we said it would be scheduled, whatever that was. January we 9th. were no money, no family, 16 in the middle of Miami. What? <laughs> that was us. We were down and out. <laughs> what reference is that? <laughs> um, but we're back. A little bit later than we promised, we did tell a flat-out lie on air, but here we are. And, you know, let's be honest, we did record this, we recorded this a couple weeks ago, we tried, it was was like over two hours long, and it was like 11pm in Italy, where Andrew (laughs) was at the time, he was exhausted, I was sick, we just decided that that's not the quality you guys deserve. It was a whole mess, and we're back. And we're going to serve you guys some great information as opposed to what we were serving before, which was a plate of air. Yeah. And for the first time, we're filming this in person. We're, I'm sitting across from Andrew. Yep. It is revolutionary. It's weird. <laughs> Amazing Race Rewind live show. More likely than you think. <laughs> sure. So this is definitely a more unconventional format for us. We're not following an episode. We're not... Well, yeah, that's the only thing we've ever done. We are talking about um, behind-the-scenes information on the season, talking about any interviews that teams did post the season, or revealing um, the production of the show, the origin of the show, and all that kind of fun stuff. There's a lot of ground to cover, and it's not going to be like any episode we've ever done just because there is there's no race anymore. So it's a lot of kind of miscellaneous information, but it's really cool information as well. Yeah. Um, so the first thing that we want to talk about is an article that was done about the oral history of the first season done by Andy Daynart on Reality Blurred. Well, before we get oh. into that, do we want to just give overall thoughts on the season? Okay, yes, we'll do that. Overall thoughts on the season. So Jill, what did you think? I thought this was a really, honestly, it was a really strong season. Yeah. It um, You had good personalities in the teams that kind of made it past the first quarter, past the first half. Yeah. And they all took it 100% to heart. They were they were fighting for this. I think nobody took it lightly. Mm-hmm. And that dedication really showed. What about you? Yeah, I think like you said, everyone was taking this very seriously. Um, this might not be like a well-known fact, but that the production of the first season of Survivor, a lot of the contestants weren't taking it seriously and they were like mocking the show a lot and giving the producers a hard time. But I don't think that was the case with this season. I think everybody was locked in. And I agree with you, it was a very strong first season because it pretty much had to be since it set the the tone for the rest of the franchise. And we wouldn't be here today without it, obviously. Yeah, and I mean, on the note of Survivor, obviously this came after Survivor. Like even, you know, the lot of the teams were incredibly attuned to the fact that survivor was kind of the the thing that made this happen Mm -hmm. and even i think it was bill and joe one of them had actually tried out for the second season of survivor so maybe that is why their the attitude towards this was a bit more serious i guess so but 
yeah, I'd, I'd say definitely that there was no no mocking of this at all. Yeah. And overall, it's extremely impressive how they were able to pull this off on the fly with so many moving factors and probably the extreme amount of stress that the producers and the cameramen were always constantly under in order to film this. Oh, absolutely. Season. We're going to get into a lot of stuff, but I think let's start with that article you mentioned. Yes, yeah. So the oral history done by Andy Daynart um, on Reality Blurred really highlights how difficult it was to make this show and the insane logistics of everything. So yeah, it just talks about the origin of the show, the behind the scenes on how it was produced, um, the casting for the show. So all that kind of information that you don't get by just simply watching the show. Obviously, also, that's just on the note of this episode it's going to be a little different than any um, overviews we do for from here on yeah. because here we're talking about the origins. So do you want to get into the origin story, I guess, of the, the show? Yes. Yeah, but beforehand, we I just want to mention that you guys should definitely read the full article, which we will be linking in the description as well as all the other things that we're going to be talking about, like all the other sources we got Yes. Um, this information from. So yes, the story goes that... The show was created by a husband and wife duo of Elise Doganieri and Bertram Van Munster. And Bertram had worked in TV in the past, uh, had done work on the show's Cops and Wild Things, which I believe are also kind of reality TV type situations. So he had just come back from a TV conference called MIPCOM, where producers pretty much they buy and sell different TV shows and ideas. And they just kind of bounce ideas off of each other. And he told his wife, Elise, that there was nothing new and interesting there. To which Elise replied with, what's wrong with TV people? Why can't you guys come up with anything new? And he said, if you think it's so easy, then why don't you come up with something, Elise? And that's what she did. So she thought of her backpacking trip with her friend and thought that would make an interesting show. And the show was actually originally pitched as 16 individuals racing around the world. But they thought that would 16 individuals would be boring because there's no interactions other than the odd interaction with a flight attendant or something. So they made it into a show about pairs of two and their relationship, which was obviously a great decision to make because 16 individuals would be a total bore. Yeah, I mean, almost all of the, not even drama, entertainment value, I guess, comes from the interaction between teams or kind of the fact that they can... They can have an alliance, but pit themselves against another team. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the drama was okay. Like the the fighting between the teams, not not between the teams. I mean, within the teams of like Frank and Margarita or Paul and Amy or something like that. Exactly. Um, they got a, a lot of their entertainment from that, and CBS um, picked the show up because they were looking for their next Survivor because Survivor, like we mentioned, was such a huge thing at the time. Took the world by storm. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I think. I don't know if we've stated this before, but when they were filming season one of The Amazing Race, I believe season two of Survivor was being aired. So really only one season of Survivor had come out before the show was conceived. And even though CBS picked it up and it was pitched really well and a lot of people were interested, I want to mention that Elise debated quitting her job um, after the show got sold, but her husband was said, you know, it might not do well, we may only get one season. So she only took a leave of absence for the first season, which obviously that leave of absence turned into her quitting. But just that, like, even though Survivor and reality TV was picking up, there was still an uncertainty about the show. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, so yes, CBS bought it, and the production had started. So one thing that really stuck out um, from this article is that the show was extremely last minute, and it was super rushed yeah. in the pre-production and the actual filming. Um, they didn't two weeks before they started filming. They didn't have a title. Yeah. Two days, <clears throat> pardon me. Two days before they started filming. They basically called all the teams down from the hotel rooms they were staying in at like 2 a.m., brought them to a meeting room, and that is when they explained everything to them. You know, what is a detour? What is a roadblock? What what does everything mean? So everything was incredibly, incredibly last minute. Yeah, the teams had no insight on what they were getting into, other than that it was just going to be a trip around the world, a race around the world, and they were told to prepare for everything, which led to some teams packing. I think I, I've read somewhere or saw somewhere that Robin Brennan, they actually bought, they, they brought a tent and sleeping bags. Frank brought a frying pan or something? <laughs> yeah, a frying pan, uh, roller blades, Frank bought, brought also. In the article, which the oral history is, an inc- it's an incredible deep dive, and a lot of people from the first season are interviewed, and I want to say it was Margarita who was saying, you know, two, three weeks out, they were contacting producers, kind of saying, like, look, what do we need to bring? Like, we yeah. don't know. And they still didn't have an answer. The teams even said they didn't even know the name of the show yeah. until they got to the bus, which was going to take them to the, the starting point, and they saw on the bus The Amazing Race. Right. I think Frank had said that the show was originally called Global Summer Adventure. It was something... Which is a horrible Or like CBS's Summer Adventure, something stupid like... CBS Global Adventure. Yeah, because I have here, which is Kevin talking about how um, he decided that he and Drew would do do the show, is they both loved Survivor, and they thought it would be great if they could both go on. And he saw that CBS was doing this CBS Global Adventure, and it was supposed to be like Survivor... Was it Survivor on Crack or something? Right. And so that's how they they got into it. They saw the newspaper article for that. Yeah. But just, what a, like, thank God they chose The Amazing Race as a title. I know, right? Like, the show seriously would not have survived without it. CBS's Global Adventure. <laughs> so yeah, these teams were ready to be sleeping on park benches, to be sleeping on the beach, in the forest, in the desert, etc. They did not know what to expect. No, I even, this is from another... Um, a podcast done with Brennan, but he had even said that they didn't understand, like they had no clue how this was going to play out. So he and Rob were under the impression that the whole money thing, you know, give it, being given money at the start of each leg would be so incredibly important. So he said that right off the bat, episode one, rather than paying for food when they got to the first airport, um, Rob and Brennan, they went to like the food court and kind of waited by like the trash cans or something. And they weren't like taking trash from people, but if someone was throwing out something perfectly good they just asked if they could have it so they wouldn't spend money on food like they had no clue how how this was going to play out they thought this money thing would be a huge deal that is an absolute insane measure to be taking on the first day to be waiting by a trash can to eat people's food scraps i know and i think he said that they because of the airport's rules they weren't allowed to film but he said their camera and sound guy were so mad because it just made for yeah. such good TV, like showing the intensity of this race. Obviously, that's not the case. You know, money, I mean, when really did money come into play? Well, I mean, Team Guido in India, I remember them not being able to afford the taxis, so they had to take a bus. Right. Um, and I think that might have, money might have played a role in them 
getting behind during the whole fast forward thing also because they could have taken um a taxi down to what wherever the pit stop was in Thailand but they waited for a bus presumably because it it was cheaper. Right. And I I mean on the topic of money Brennan did bring up that he and Rob at, when they got to the end they ha- actually had about $1000 which is why <laughs> it, as we mentioned the last episode when um Rob bought the phone off of someone for $300 they they were able to do that. Um but uh, to explain the food thing a little better, I guess when they were being casted, they were asked questions like, um, what are you going to do when you're stuck in the middle of, I don't know, Bangladesh with no food? <laughs> so they thought, you know, only having seen Survivor before this, that yeah. it was going to be a massive deal. But just that, like, they were, everyone was dedicated right off the bat. Yeah. I mean, at least they prepared for the worst. At least they weren't expecting uh, to be flying business class and be getting margaritas all day no that is true that is true yeah so do do we want to move into i guess sort of the pre pre pre-production of the show well i don't really have much else for the pre-production that's true i Um, guess the 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 co-creators scouted the route three times before the race was even run which is absolutely not how they do it anymore no um and just generally the race took six weeks to be to complete uh, whereas now it only takes three. It's so much really, more yeah, much we, more concise. I know yeah. we'll bring up later, but in the show there was a lot of, or not a lot of, a, a good couple pit stops that were extended. Yeah. I think the one in India where, you know, we, we aren't told this, where we only think it's 12 hours, but they ended up having to stay there for 60 hours uh. because of production difficulties. I think the one in France was bumped to 24 yeah. hours. So there was definitely a, I mean, it it makes sense. It's season one, but they were still figuring things out. Yeah. A very common thing was that the teams raced much faster than the production was prepared for. So they had to extend a lot of these pit stops. Um, In the oral history, one of the producers is giving an interview and he's saying that he was preparing the Paris leg, leg two of the race. And he thought that the teams were still in Africa, still in Zambia, but yeah, he was getting things ready, and he looked over, he was in a taxi, and he saw a team beside him in the other taxi, and he was like, oh my god, these teams are moving way too fast, and they could not keep up. Team Guido also said in an interview that there were a few times where they had gotten to the location that they needed to be, um, but they were faster than the production had thought they would be, so there was no clue box there, so they were just like walking around, and then all of a sudden there would be a clue box where they just were, where there wasn't in the past so it's a really janky production, kind of, on this first season. It is. And, I mean, we're also, you know, moving into season two. Um, I don't know if they're going to make this change. But here, I, I think the thing in Paris happened, um, correct me if I'm wrong, because the team who got there first or whatever had found another flight that production wasn't aware of. They thought they had tracked all the potential flights that the teams could have taken. And these teams found a flight on this airline that the production team didn't even know of, like Air Gabon or something. So that's how they got there, which is obviously not like nowadays. There's like you can be on this flight, this flight or this flight. Like you can track the teams. Yeah, that was not the case there. Uh, I have a yeah, I have a quote from Phil here, which I think just I mean, it summarizes the race, but it sums this up so well. He says, our studio is the world and we have no control over it. We think we do, but we don't. Yeah. And especially this first season where the teams literally had all the freedom in the world to do whatever they wanted. Oh, it's insane. Yeah. And the equalizing points with the hours of operation of 
businesses and stuff were completely unintentional. The race didn't actually account for that and how that would be beneficial. And not only controlling the teams and keeping the teams like within the control of the production, but also making the race a lot more competitive. But, yeah, and I remember I remember us saying that we thought that was intentional, that no, they were doing yeah. that to to bunch up the teams, but no, it just worked out well, and obviously it's something they've continued to do because, yeah, if you need to get everybody back onto square one, yeah. it's the best way to do that. Well, because if that wasn't the case, you would have, like, three teams in Zambia, three teams in Paris, and then, like, a couple in Tunisia, probably. No, that's it. You need to kind of keep them all at yeah. the same pace. And then another thing was that they actually didn't know where they would finish the race until a week before the they actually got there to finish the race because so, it was initially set at the World Trade Center, but they couldn't get permits for it. And this was pre-9-11, and they said in the interview in this oral history that they were very um, grateful for this and that it was actually very good that it wasn't at the World Trade Center because they don't know if they would be able to air it if um, the teams were going to be at the top of the Twin Towers um, with this airing months after 9-11. And we should add that this is the only season um, ever to travel pre-9-11. So every right. season hence henceforth, uh, the traveling and the restrictions yeah. in airports was different. But this is the only season to ever... I, I mean, that this is the only season to ever travel pre-9-11. Yes. Um, should we talk about Phil? I think, yeah. Let's, let's okay, talk yeah. about Phil. So the origin of Phil, a little bit of Phil lore here is... It's, it's a little bit interesting. Um, so yes, just like everything else was last minute with this show, uh, Phil was also last minute. They did not have a host until a couple weeks leading up to the filming of the show. And I think Phil had gone out as the host for Survivor, did yes. he not? Yeah. And I think similar to Survivor where um, Jeff was brought on very, very last minute as well. Mm. Same case for Phil. Yes. Uh, and something that was interesting is that Phil Kogan, he actually didn't think that he was going to get the job because of his accent, his New Zealand accent, and was actually told to Americanize some words, which was not anything that I had considered, but I guess they just wanted to keep TV American. Well, and they said point. they were really looking for a sports commentator type deal with Phil. That's what they kind of envisioned. So I guess that's where a lot of the Americanization or the desire for the Americanization came from. Obviously, you know, the show's immensely successful. Phil is well-known because of it. Yeah. I think it's completely relaxed now. I wouldn't imagine them telling him to Americanize anything now. Right. But yeah, off the bat, that's they thought of it as like basically a sportscaster. Yeah, and that was evident in that he wasn't so much so a part of the show in that he wasn't at the mat to greet every team like we see him uh, do nowadays. And he actually said that he was... Not not happy with this at all. He wanted to be there at every team's check-in at the pit stop. But the reasoning for him not was the production wanted there to be a more cultural feel. And he felt at the at the mat. And they felt that Phil kind of disrupted that. I feel like the team, you should be able to see Phil either way. Yeah. And in season one, it was very much, if Phil was there, you you knew it wasn't good news. Right. But now it's, you know, it's nice that he can greet yeah. every team. Yeah. I was on the topic of uh, the last minute stuff, though, and Phil... He also talks about his opening monologue on top of the building, you know, the helicopter, which he basically had to write really quickly. And <laughs> he's like had a couple days to like memorize this and do this. And he knew he had to go up on top of this building and deliver it. And he's kind of like, you know, what do I say? How do mm -hmm. I kick off such a show? And I mean, his words now are pretty iconic. The world is waiting for you. Yeah. Yeah. 
but that it was just even that was last minute like how do i what am i gonna write yeah. what am i gonna say yeah he said he he was laying in bed in his hotel room just thinking about what what the tagline is gonna be and there he did there he was he came up with that yeah uh, also a little bit of lore kind of related to oh. phil is the mat that they use for check-ins has been the same since season one so that mat has been everywhere i love that that they've kept that that's so nice. It really is. And also, he said that he lost 12 pounds while filming this first season. So I guess that's just a testament to how grueling it was. But the thing is, and I think that's, you know, also because we're not seeing Phil at every first pit stop, is you think he's not doing as much. But he really is there with the production yeah. team the whole way. Yeah, I wish they would have acknowledged that a little bit more, just to kind of wrap this segment up on him. Something which I think as an audience, we're not we don't think about or especially at that time oh, yes. is when teams were coming and checking in nowadays there's always the kind of acknowledgement you know guys what happened but it's because he genuinely doesn't know you know we as the audience see everything up to that point he just sees the teams arrive at the mat yeah. so he has no prior knowledge now i think it's different he mentioned that they communicate on what is it slack or yeah. something <laughs> so he can just check the slack chat updates and be oh okay that's you know this is where we're at yeah. but at that time it was genuinely he, he was more blind to this in the audience, which I just find yeah. so cool. I think that is really cool to think about that we know more than him. And he said that he was, during the finale, he was expecting Frank and Margarita to come due to their knowledge of New York. And was absolutely shocked to see Robin Brennan. And the thing is, he can't act shocked or anything because he's supposed to know as much as we are or appear that he does. Yeah. Um, so that's really interesting to think about, that he has no idea where the teams are or when they're coming in. He's probably... St- like standing there all day it makes that you know i think this is amazing race canada so it's a a little different but i always thought you know why does john always say guys what happened or you know (laughs) what happened out there and i was like like what why are you asking Uh that but it makes me realize oh he probably really doesn't know as much like we're we're sitting there as the audience going well this obvious like obviously this is what happened he has no clue okay so that includes a segment on phil (laughs) (laughs) yeah we love Phil. Um, with that... I think we just go right to the cast, because, all right, uh, over the season, we've accumulated a lot of different links. Uh, we've been sent in some podcasts by people. Yeah. So we're basically going to go through team by team and just kind of speak about them, what we've read about them post-season. Obviously, the top three teams, there's going to be a lot more information than others just because of the rankings um, and just, you know, they've yeah. done more more media. Uh, but we'll still go through each team and just kind of we'll outline. I, I guess we'll do the final standings. We'll go in order of who was eliminated. Yes, but first I kind of just want to talk about the casting process. Yes, I think that's good. Um, so and what and kind of what the show and the producers were looking for. So this show was actually cast by the same team that did Survivor, and their main goal was to find people that would be as relatable as possible to a wide range of viewers. They wanted like um, couples. They wanted. They wanted couples, they wanted family, they wanted friends, co-workers. Yeah, of a wide age variety, so that everybody who's watching the show could feel like they could see themselves in somebody competing. Yeah. And one thing that Lynn Spillman, who gave an interview in this oral history article, who was the head casting director for the show, um, she was most interested in dating couples since it was more of a make-or-break situation, which I think was quite apparent in this, since we had seven couples in total here on this season. Yeah. Um, and they, she said that, that those they were more interesting because their relationship isn't as forged as a mother-daughter or as a family relationship, since it's a make-or-break situation and it's much higher stakes than just, say, two friends racing together. 
and I think you know we brought I think we brought this up before but there were no sibling teams in season one and that's kind of a staple now there's usually one or two Mm -hmm. sibling teams per season but it's it's so true is the sibling teams don't have that tension about them that makes you kind of question how well they're going to do because when it's family you can fight you can yell at each other but ultimately nothing about your relationship is going to change because you're related yeah whereas that's not the case with these couples but that's kind of what i think especially in season one they took for or they they utilized for entertainment value yeah so yeah essentially it was just for more drama and intrigue so yeah what are your overall opinions on the season one cast i thought it was really good there was really strong like i said they all took it seriously which i really appreciated Mm -hmm. and it I, I, I don't know. I think, obviously, we've done a full season with them now, and I've done all the interviews, but I'm quite fond of them, honestly. Like, they're yeah. they're they're, inter- in, they're interesting people, they're fun, and it was a good season. Yeah, I agree. I think it was also a very strong cast. Everybody kind of brought something to the race and were interesting in their own right. So that, should we just jump into the rankings? Yeah. Bottom to top? So, first team eliminated Matt and Anna. What do you have to say about them? Honestly, not a lot. I don't. I don't yeah. remember much. Um, the only thing I know about them is that Matt was the one that said Patoka George. Yeah, they, iconic. Seemed like a promising couple. Seemingly, we don't. They were know. nice. They seemed fine, and I found online they got divorced after the race. So that's about. It. Yeah, there was no <laughs> other. I couldn't find any interviews or anything. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, guys. Next, Kim and Leslie. So I think we were robbed of these two. I think they were great for the two episodes that they were there. They were snarky. They got into an argument with Paul and Amy. They didn't get. They weren't afraid to get their hands dirty. They stole a cab. I needed more of the drama. And they gave us season. an episode title. Yellowy Blanca was... Yeah. They were a little bit aloof. They didn't really seem to be cut out from the, for the race. They were kind of all over the place, but I, I liked them. Good entertainment value. Yes. Yeah. And I, Team Guido said in an interview that Kim and Leslie were actually the ones who were speeding the most during the self-driving the first um, leg in Zambia. And all the teams got a talking to after that because they were going like far past the speed limit and there weren't any um, restrictions in place on that first I think driving challenge. Brennan brought that up in an interview as well. And I think that's hilarious that the teams had to be told, guys, you have to drive <laughs> yeah. the speed limit. Well, because that was absolute mayhem that zambia driving those people were going crazy that is true but yeah other than that not much more on kim and leslie yeah i think they're they're both married with kids um good for them good for them moving to pat and brenda who are jill's team jill really liked them yeah they 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 had a good positive energy you know i they got screwed over oh yes in what is honestly for you one of the worst tasks i think you hate it yeah i can't stand the friggin' folk calls pendulum paris task there was no skill involved in that they just happened to go to the wrong folk calls pendulum because there's two by the way if anybody ever heard there were two and they went to the wrong one and then they got eliminated because of it not because anything they did wrong i think it was the worst task they ever did on the entire show i think that's a fair <laughs> opinion so uh, I feel I feel bad for them. And especially since they got the fast forward the last episode and were in the lead. I know. They were doing well. They were robbed. Justice for them. They were robbed. Yeah. Okay. Now Speaking it's your of robbed, team. Yeah. Yes. Dave and Mark Oretta. 
They were doing so well in Tunisia. They deserved better until that absolutely earth-shattering incident that changed the trajectory of my life. With the Not taxis. dramatic at all. <laughs> With the taxis and the money. They were sweethearts. They did wonders for everybody who watched them. And Joe and Bill, they actually told a story about uh, David and Margareta on the Real- Reality TV Warriors podcast. They said that Margareta was actually quite cutthroat. And we're talking about how when they were at the port to France, about to go to Tunisia, Joe and Bill, they were kind of showing them where to get to the tickets or where to go or something like that. And they were they were walking with them. And then supposedly Margareta shoved in front of them to cut them off so that she could get tickets before them and pretty much just threw them to the curb after they helped them. So you know what? I'm not entirely surprised by this because we did see a little bit of her feistiness, Margareta, with her iconic quote of, go, 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 get out of my way. <laughs> Episode four title, I believe. Yes. They were a great team. We needed more from them. Although, I don't know how the producers like expected them to do some of these tasks. Later in the series. Extremely yeah. physical, like the ice climbing one. I mean, the thing is, it was said somewhere that, or I think it is somewhere that you go through a good amount of like physical and mental testing before the yes. race. So, I mean, you would have to pass it. Like, yeah, I guess so. Then they wouldn't take these teams on knowing the tasks ahead if they thought it would be a health risk. Yeah, but I mean, Frank said that he literally thought he was going to die during the ice climbing task. No, I thought it was the desert. He said he, oh, was, he felt think... like he was going to actually like, have a heart attack. Yeah, he was just yeah. so physically and like ill. Yeah, the desert when he was walking the camel. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? They were stronger than people thought. They were. So they probably would have been able to do it. David and Margareta completely robbed. Loved them. They deserve better. They did. Okay. Paul and Amy, who had quite an end. They were lost for a long yeah, time. They were lost for... Six hours or something? Six hours or something in so, the desert. Yeah. So concerning. Well, with Amy throwing up in the back. Oh. I mean, they were definitely an entertaining team for the season. Uh, maybe not the most likable or my favorite team, but they were always fighting and providing entertainment in that way. Yes. So, as far as their post-race, I found online that Amy actually had a relatively prolific acting career, and she appeared in Austin Powers' Gold Member, and by prolific, I mean she's probably an extra in a couple movies. But you know what, that, <laughs> you, you get enough hours, you can get, you can be in the union, you can have a pension, you can have benefits, so... You know what? She probably did well well enough for that. So, And that's not easy, so good for her. Yeah, I mean, not a lot of people can say they were an Austin Powers Gold member. So no. There we go. And she's since uh, moved into wellness and coach... Or yeah, she is on psychology. Instagram at Amy Barsky Coaching, I think. <laughs> Something like that. You say, I think, as if you don't follow her now. I, <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know her exact handle, but she is a, quote, trauma-informed master coach. So good for her. And she's doing some influencing on there. She's into zen and stress prevention and seems to be thriving. Yeah, good for her. And Paul and Amy, they got married actually in 2006, but later divorced. And Paul is also an actor, but I couldn't really find much about him. But sounds like they both did very well after the race. Yeah, yeah. Wish them all the best, Paul and Amy. Next up, Lenny and Karen. Now there's something to clear up here because oh. with Lenny and Karen, I remember you saying this, or last time we, when we tried to record this the first time around, is it appeared as though Lenny and Karen broke up when they got yes. eliminated. But when it was actually in... Paris. So very early on. Very early on. They, they decided to end the relationship while in Paris. Like like two or three? Yeah. 
Well, probably after the whole Eiffel Tower incident with Lenny going up the Eiffel Tower and then not finding it and then carrying the alien. And they went to Notre Dame, didn't they? Yeah, they did go to Notre Dame. That was a tough leg for them. That was not good. Yeah, so obviously they continued racing after that. So that's interesting um, because the episode made it seem like they were still together up until they got eliminated in India where they broke up at the mat. But yeah. They're kind of in the same vein as Paul and Amy, where sometimes they were kind of hard to watch with their arguments. And I watched an interview with Karen. She said she wasn't entirely happy with how she was portrayed. And Which that, is fair. Yeah, and that it seemed as if she was just constantly berating Lenny, and Lenny was just kind of being this submissive, sad puppy dog who was constantly being yelled at, which wasn't always the case, she said. So that's not entirely the truth due to editing. Yeah, Karen is also, she's doing great. She has started her own law firm. She's doing exceptionally well. Yeah, and seems to be killing it. And Lenny is also doing well uh, because he is married and has a son and a daughter. Good for them. Oh, and then also interesting to note is they actually got back together after filming the show but broke up again after the first episode aired. Oh. <laughs> no, before before the first episode aired. Oh. <laughs> but they're doing great. Moving on to Nancy and Emily. Yeah. So they were a readable underdog team, I found, who were who were they were always at the back, but they kept surviving. I liked them enough, but they weren't overly entertaining. They didn't do anything. Personalities weren't particularly engaging. I liked there is a positivity from Nancy that was nice. That's true. And they were they were just kind of more I'd say like especially when you look at the top five teams here, they were definitely the most chill out of the top five. Maybe after Kevin and Drew. Well, they weren't very chill in India. There was a little bit of a meltdown, and I think, but I I don't think that like that's just being under pressure. Like you're yeah. just exhausted. I think as a I, like as people as you mean. people, yes. yeah, yeah, that makes sense. They did well, and uh, I mean, they're going out the whole thing with Joe and Bill and them. That elimination was quite something. That was very exciting. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, Uh, post-race, Emily and Brennan actually dated for a little bit. Brennan said that they got to know each other a bit better during, it was actually the 60-hour pit stop in India, and all the teams just kind of hung around, played cards together, whatever. Um, He said they were only together for about six months after Mm. the race, but yeah, a little tidbit of information there. Yep. And Nancy had a great accent. Yeah, and and she gave us some great... She did. Great, great quotes. (laughs) Yes. Moving on to quite possibly one of the most entertaining, maybe the most entertaining team of this season. Yeah, definitely the biggest characters, I would say. A comedic relief team for the season that they brought a lot of life, I think. They do, or they did. They were, you said that they were kind of seen as the hometown favorites from New York. Yeah. Kevin and Drew. Yeah. So actually, fun fact about them, Bertram Van Munster, who is the the co-creator of the show, he was actually against casting Kevin and Drew during the casting process. Because he thought that people would just watch and say, oh, like, these are just the ugly Americans. Um, Which is so mean. That's (laughs) so brutal. But I'm sure sure he takes that back now with them being the most successful or arguably you could say the most successful entertainment industry-wise. They got a whole three episodes of a show. their own show. Nobody else can say that they got their own show after The Amazing Race. Now, Andrew, you watched a bit of the show. Kevin and Drew Unleashed, which, by the way, definitely go check out their YouTube channel. They've got a lot of content on there, yeah. interviews and stuff. But yeah. what do you what do you think on that? Yeah, their YouTube channel is a real time capsule. But Kevin and Drew Unleashed is a television program that came out. It was released, I think it was around 2004 on the Discovery Channel. So I watched the first half of episode one. I couldn't get much further than that. 
Um, so if you, it's really just a mindless piece of filler television that serves no purpose. If you enjoy their banter, sure, you can watch this and it'll be a good time, but it was not an engaging watch to me. And this is me watching it on two times speed in Rome <laughs> before going to bed. So I was dozing off while watching this. Um, pretty much the premise of the show was that they they have to work these weird odd jobs and do tasks against each other. And then there's a showdown. They had to wrestle an alligator. It was cool. No, it wasn't really. It wasn't really. It was okay. So if you're interested in them, go watch that. Do you think, though, can I ask you a question? Yes. Do you think um, the show didn't do justice to Kevin and Drew? Or do you think Kevin and Drew didn't do justice to having a show? Well, I just don't think the premise was that great. They probably, I don't think they had a great production team either. I'm sure some, some people liked it at the time. But... I think it was more so the show than them. They did only get three episodes. They did only get three episodes. Yeah, there's not really much to sink your teeth into with that one. Yeah. Uh, to kind of wrap up on Kevin and Drew, I will add, I know I mentioned before that I think Kevin saw it in a newspaper. And it was Survivor on Steroids. Sorry, not Survivor on Crack. Survivor on oh, okay. Steroids. Yeah, it's different. It's kind of how the show was seen. And yeah, found it in a newspaper and basically convinced uh, Drew to do this. And that's... That's how we ended up with them. Yep. And their audition tape is actually on their YouTube channel, which is horrible. I, it's, it's so bad. I could not watch it. It's just them like sitting in a kitchen and talking. But anywho, moving to Joe and Bill, who were a very important team for the season since they were our villains and somebody to root against. Even if it wasn't completely warranted and they were edited unfairly which they have talked about on at length yes on several podcasts and interviews i will say what is interesting just to kind of tangent a little bit what is interesting about watching inter- interviews especially some of the podcasts we watch where it was these teams being interviewed by former racers people yes. who had run uh yeah run the race formerly is they talk a lot about the edit and they they kind of instinctively distinguish between someone's edit personality yeah. and someone's actual personality but it is very true. You know, you can, you you have, I remember you brought this up. There's like X amount of hours. There's like hours and hours of footage yeah. and only about 40 minutes from each episode gets aired. So you have to think about that. Yeah. There's like, yeah, there's like thousands of hours of footage and they can only edit it down to 40 whatever minutes for the episode. And in order to make a good television product with characters, you have to kind of pigeonhole them into being one thing because that'll be more memorable and more entertaining for the viewer. You can't show every side of every person. So you can't ever portray somebody the way that they actually are in television, in reality exactly. TV. Exactly. And we'll kind of go back off of that into, um, I know we mentioned a couple weeks ago, actually earlier on in the podcast, we were sent an interview with the Guidos um, by Ashley. So thank yes. you. And we waited to listen to it for spoilers sake. Again, they talked a lot about, yeah, about the edit. There's a quote from there, which um, I really like. And it's the camera never lies, but editing tells its own story, yeah. which is very true. You know, the camera, what the camera picks up, you can't deny happen, but how it's edited can completely change the perception. Yeah. And with the editing, the producers knew that they were going to be their, vi- they were going to be the season's villains and Team Guido was not expecting that at all, really. They, so, and they had figured it out prior, the Guido say, like, prior to Tunisia, like, yes. which is leg three, yeah. four, they started implementing this. Or even the Paris thing, where we brought up, we I know we bring up a lot, especially in the Paris episode, they kept yeah. mentioning that they had lived in Paris. Which made them seem so annoying and insufferable, like, okay, yes, we get it, you lived in Paris. But they had actually been asked this over and over, over the course of the season, yeah. they were asked to repeat this. 
and they took those sound bites to kind of create that that attitude yeah which is interesting and also they talked about how there was a lot of other nastiness among the other teams that didn't get aired for example they mentioned how in india there was nearly a fist fight between kevin and drew and frank and margarita over a cab that just never get aired got aired because the producers didn't want to put kevin and drew in that kind of light because they were supposed to be like the happy-go-lucky funny people exactly something that bill and joe brought up though that was very interesting is You'll notice they say enough said a lot Mm. um, and they're very aware of this, but it was because they knew that, you know, going onto TV, they're going to try and be shaped and formed and edited a certain way. So they decided rather than having a bunch of footage of them arguing about kind of lesser important things with with each other, if one of them were to say enough said, that just meant we're not going to discuss this anymore and we'll talk about it later because it's not worth giving the camera people that kind of mind the yeah. mindless bickering yeah that was their thing is that they never wanted the camera to catch them arguing with each other they didn't want there to be any relationship um like any bickering between them which we didn't see but we saw with others yeah because all of their conflict had to do with the other teams and not within their own team but they play that smart because it's you have to be a strong couple you have to be a strong yeah. unit and that's really what they were there was never an issue between them yeah they were very good at kind of acknowledging just just going with the flow with each other yeah and they also talk about the pressure they felt as a gay couple in 2001 and they felt Um, like correct me if i'm wrong the first what they believe is the first openly gay couple on network television yes real yeah yeah like because there were characters but not like on reality tv where it was real people so they felt the importance of that. Um, yeah, how they have to show that they can be like in a good, long-lasting relationship and, I mean, and the, not fight among each other. The podcast we're referencing, uh, which again, everything will be linked below, but this is from January of 2021, yep. and they're still together, and they said, what, they've been together for 30-some years? Yeah, for like a long 34, time. 34, 35 yeah. years. Um, but yeah, also on the note of their, just to wrap that up, but their enough said thing is they said they were even contacted by someone who started using it in their own relationship, which I think is kind of funny. Yeah. So yes, there is a a lot of content of them on the internet. Um, they've done a bunch of interviews and have remained quite active within the Amazing Race community. So you don't have to dig very deep to find some stuff about them. And something interesting that they mentioned was the reason why they ran out of money was because the other teams knew somehow that this was just a weird rule on season one that... They could split their taxi fare 50-50 between them and their camera and sound person. So, like, Frank and Margarita only had to pay half of the taxi fare because the sound and camera person paid the other half. Whereas Team Guido, they just paid the whole taxi fare um, themselves. So that's probably a reason why they ran out of money in India and maybe contributed to why they ended up ultimately being 24 hours behind. Yeah, but you know what? They they did very well. They were never performed poorly, really. Yeah, no, they were quite um, strong. And they they were back on All Stars, which I forget which season it is exactly, but they yeah. came. They were brought back. So we'll we'll get to them eventually, I guess. <laughs> yeah, once we get to season eleven. <laughs> okay, team number two. Frank and Margarita, who were an interesting couple, and they had an interesting dynamic, and. The team that we were rooting for in the end to win. Yeah, I will say right off the bat, um, this was from the oral history article. But I think it's important to kind of start off with them is a lot of people questioned why they went on with the dynamic between them. But they in the article stated that 
you know, Margarita, she said she was aware of this, but they'd been friends actually from the ages of 14 and 16. So they had a much, much um, longer standing relationship beside being in a relationship and being parents. So it makes more sense as to why they went on when you know that. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to kind of put that first because I think it's important to note. Yeah, because that yeah, that makes more sense why they even decided to do this because it's not like they had this horrible breakup and they hated each other. It would they were still friends after they broke up. They'd been friends before. They were friends after, so they had still a working yeah. relationship. And they actually did reconcile after the show and did have another child. They had another daughter, I believe. Yes, but they did divorce again after that and are still on friendly terms. Yeah. So you listened to the podcast with Frank, correct? Yes. What do you have to say from that? Um, so Frank, the most interesting thing that he revealed was how annoying it was to race against a pair of lawyers. <laughs> and I will say Brennan did admit to this in his own podcast. <laughs> yeah, about, he said they lawyered a lot. Yeah, they were so annoying. They were always nitpicking at the rules and talking to the producers and trying to find not loopholes, but things that the other teams were doing to break the rules. So if you think back to leg six, I believe, when they were in Italy, there was the clue that said to take a train to a certain location. And Frank and Margarita and Joe and Bill, they both took the train, but they got off at a certain stop and ended up taking a cab to the pit stop, which was the more efficient way to do it because they spoke to locals and said that's the best way to do it. However, on the clue, it stated you have to take a train to wherever they were going. And it was Marseille and then take a cab from Marseille or something. But I thought they were in Italy. I thought this was France. Okay, well, it's, it's, Either ir- way. it's irrelevant. Either way. So, yeah, the, the, clue, the clue just stated to take a train. So the teams did take a train, but Rob and Brennan argued to the producers that they were had to take the train all the way to the pit stop and weren't allowed to take a taxi and that they technically broke the rules. With the the show, the producers, this only being their first season and not having any outlines in the rules and no real ground to stand on and being afraid of Rob, who is a Harvard-educated lawyer, um, suing them, <laughs> they pretty much allocated penalties for that. And Frank also argued... I think during that same leg in Italy when uh, they had that self-driving task where they had to drive the little smart cars when he hired his taxi to lead him to the pit stop. He also said that if Rob and Brennan had seen that he'd done that, that, that he would be awarded a penalty for that because they would have argued to the producers. So overall, they were extremely annoying to race against and the teams really didn't like them for that reason. You know what? Play by the rules. <laughs> yeah. I feel well, like I feel like this is interesting dynamic because I will add that I haven't watched the the some of the interviews that Andrews watched when it's individual team members and vice versa. So I feel like now we're almost kind of two-sided. Like I'm looking at this like, well, you know, and Yeah, you, you, I'm looking at it from Frank's side and, and you're I'm looking at it from the from lawyer's Brent. side. Yeah. So that's kind of, I think this is ooh, we've pitted ourselves against each other a little bit. <laughs> I will add though is Although, you know, like uh, there was obviously portrayed a lot of animosity and stuff. Like, this is, I believe, in the Beijing leg. Is Brennan said that, you know, they were still, like, on on good terms with Frank and Margarita. And they were chummy, to use his words. He said that, actually, I think before the kite task uh, opened, they opened their clues. And they didn't have... It was, like, 4 and 4 a.m. And the thing didn't open till 6. So he said yeah. they all just went out to a club together and had a bunch of drinks. And so it was, like... <laughs> They, you know, they were on good terms. Like the show, the show will portray what it's going to portray, but there was still a good, good amount of fun 
good amount of whatever. And Frank did say that a lot. At a lot of the pit stops, he would go out just drinking with the producers and stuff and go out to bars because he said that he just wanted to experience the culture and the the place, which I feel like is something... Well, because they had all this time during these pit stops that were delayed in 60 hours and 48 hours or whatever. So he did go out and and drink quite a lot, which... (laughs) Uh, the producers didn't like him doing, but he was like, what are you going to do? Kick me off the show? <laughs> and <laughs> so, the, so yeah, that's in a little interesting tidbit that would not be happening today. Because I feel like the producers have much more of a grip on the, a tight grip on the contestants. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. While we're on probably the topic um, of Frank and Margarita, we'll move to Robin Brennan soon. But I want to talk about the taxi thing in New York, getting to mm. Vincent Daniels Square. Now, Brennan brought this up. Um, and actually on the podcast, which again, we'll link below, if you go to around the one hour, 11 minute mark, they actually bring up a map of New York and physically show the route that Frank and Margarita took versus what Robin Brennan took. Now, I just brought this up on Google Maps before and I showed it to Andrew. Yeah. And because it is, you know, midday on a Tuesday or whatever it is today. Yeah. Oh, Thursday. My bad. Um, the, the route that Frank and Mar- Margarita took makes sense when there's traffic. However, it was like 4 or 5 a.m. on a Sunday. Yeah. And Frank and Margarita went 33 miles. Robin Brennan went 22 miles. So it makes a lot more... Like, it's it's kind of crazy. And Brennan... Or, yeah, Brennan said he had friends in New York after who were, when they watched the show, called him because they were just so shocked yeah. about the route that Frank and Margarita took in their cab. I, I just thought that was interesting. Definitely go, like, check out the, the map because mm-hmm. you'll see how insane the distance is yeah. that they both went. And another thing with the finale that Frank talked about is that they actually were very close. Like, Frank and Margarita were very close to Rob and Brennan. And as the uh, Frank and Margarita were running up the stairs. The, pla- the stairs to the platform for the train station, um, the train was leaving. So they were only actually a few minutes behind Rob and Brennan. Yeah, they got to the park a few minutes behind Robin Brennan. Brennan said he thinks it was probably about 15 minutes because they got there. He said that they, uh, the, produ- the executive producers were there and they had some time to kind of make Robin Brennan go back and film the running up to the mat a couple of times before Frank and Margarita showed up. But he said that he, um, Frank and Margarita actually didn't realize they were second until they stepped on the platform. Because I know Andrew mentioned that Margarita went to hug Margareta um, and Robin Brennan said they were kind of hidden behind some of the others on the platform. And he said it wasn't until Frank stepped up onto the platform and saw them and turned around and told Margarita that he said, oh, we're second. So I think that's interesting, too. Yeah, because I mean, it seemed like on the show that when they were running up that they saw Robin Brennan and they realized that they lost and it was a whole moment. But that's not really the case. I mean, but like... Hearing what Robin Brennan said is they did make the teams probably run a couple of times okay. to get the they run. Might have re- re- I feel it. like it might have been like one of the, okay, go back, do it again. Yeah. So, yes, they were an interesting team. Um, and something that Team Guido said in an interview is they thought that Margarita was the strongest racer out of everybody. And they said, they claimed that Frank actually held her back by being so erratic. Interesting. And, and not always trusting her. Yeah. They said that she was the best racer. They said if she and Karen were on the same team, they would have swept everybody. You know, wow. Yeah. That's a good point. I never considered that. That is so true. Mm, yeah. Because Karen was really on top of it as well and super competitive. But they would have been a dangerous team. I think the they would have been. Yeah. I think they should consider that. That would be fun. 
Especially that Karen's got her own law firm. Like, yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, that that is something. And also, fun fact, they had the highest average placement of any team this season with uh, an average placement of 2.38, which seems quite impressive. That is very impressive. They're yeah. probably up there in terms of the whole show, actually. Probably. But I have no idea what those kind of stats are. <laughs> anyway, moving to our winners of the season, Rob and Brennan. Yes, um, Brennan gave a great interview. It was actually double the length of all the other racers. It was from August 2020. And he actually, so this was on the Racers Recap podcast, which as we mentioned, um, is actually a bunch of former racers re-watching the show. And he said that before, and he he um, reviewed the final episode with them, so the finale, his win. And he said before coming on the podcast, he reviewed every single one of his um, former season mates episodes with them. And made notes. So he was prepared. Uh, the first thing he brought up, which I think is actually really interesting, is he talks about how everyone knows who won Survivor. Now, I, I'm, not a, I'm not in the no Survivor at all, so I don't know. I wasn't alive at that time as well. But it's true. I, I mean, you spoke to this. That is true. Like, most people know who won Survivor. Yeah. I don't know who. Um, okay. But it's, it's an interesting point that, you know, no, no one ever thinks about who first won The Amazing Race. But most people know who won Survivor. I mean, that might be because of viewership as well. I don't know how many viewers The Amazing Race Season 1 had as opposed to Survivor, because Survivor was absolutely huge. It was everywhere. Um, I think everybody who was there at that time who was dialed into pop culture and to some extent knew who Richard Hatch was, the winner of Survivor. But yeah, I think it's interesting. Nobody knows Robin Brennan, but I'm actually interesting to see how many, what the viewers were like, yeah. the viewership. You Let's can see. give that a quick Google. I will yeah. I will speak kind of to where they're at. So Rob and Brennan seem to be doing very well. Brennan is actually the godfather to Rob's son at the time of this episode aired. I think he said his son, Rob's son, was about four months old and he's go- been going to see him quite a bit. Uh, they're both still in L.A. I think they're both lawyering. Lawyering. Yeah. <laughs> the, Brennan has been very active on kind of the reality TV show media circuit i think both of them were actually at the season four and five or they covered season four and five of the race they were at the season 27 starting line because it was in la um yeah he's brennan's been a huge fan of the charity events and stuff rob not so much just not his thing uh brennan actually spoke to the fact that a lot of the uh, their friends who knew both of them were quite surprised that most of the sound bites in the show or the like cutaway interviews are rob which is actually we spoke about this it's almost always rob talking but I think Brennan said it's because Rob didn't speak a lot, but when he did it, he was very concise and very like well articulated. Whereas Brennan tends to like ramble he, his words, not mine. But it's interesting to look back on. Uh, yeah, that's really interesting to think of because I just thought of Rob as being the extrovert, and because he's the one we heard most of, we barely heard anything exactly. from yeah. Brennan. But I'm just looking here, and the finale of The Amazing Race had 13 million viewers, whereas the finale of Survivor had around 50 million viewers. Wow. So it was, they were kind of different animals in that sense. Yeah, which I guess that is fair. And I know it's just, it isn't, I I just brought that up because it is an interesting point. Like, I've even never considered who won the first season of The Amazing Race and where these people are at. Yeah. Um, What else do I have to say? Brennan cleared a lot of things up. He talked about in the final leg how, or the second last leg, when they got to to Anchorage, Frank and Margarita had actually changed their flight path, but that had never been radioed ahead to the team. So there was only one car waiting for them when they got there that was supposed to be Rob and Brennan's. But because it was not known that Frank and Margarita were further ahead, 
Frank and Margarita got that car, and Robin Brennan had to wait for a second car. Um, so I, I just thought that was a little interesting tidbit. Yeah, that, um, yeah, that just shows again how unprepared the production was. You know, yeah. In a sense. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I know we talked a lot about how the Guidos kept saying they would catch up. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yes. And even though the two teams ahead, Frank and Margarita and Robin Brennan, kind of really doubted that, they were still anxious because they did think that there there was a small chance, and they weren't going to let that get to them. I mean, the Guidos were resourceful, and they were they would do anything to get ahead or to to continue but the guidos did say that they knew in thailand that it was over and after that they were just kind of playing it out for the cameras yeah. that they were that they were still being positive about it but you know what they like the other teams were still on their toes about that yeah i mean they were the team guido was resourceful they thought outside of the box in season one when there was no precedent and were very competitive yeah but back to robin brennan they were kind of, they were a very neutral team to me well, and what's funny is kind of going off of the Guidos is Robin Brennan or Brennan said he really thought they would be cast as the villains because they were lawyers. Yeah, um, and he was kind of surprised when they they weren't. I mean, they had nothing to give Robin Brennan villain wise. Like, I don't even know if you could. Well, I guess you could edit them that way if you wanted to show them arguing with the production. But I don't think they would do that. Yeah, no. Um, I want to talk about because I think Robin Brennan being lawyers and kind of playing with the rules and the precedent or having no precedent there's a couple things that they did that he said would not be you know possible nowadays for example the thing with the phone as i mentioned Mm -hmm. much earlier on in this they had about a thousand dollars so that three hundred dollars to try and um or to or to successfully get the phone was not a big deal to them Um, but he said yeah by season two that rule was completely changed not allowed Um, but he did indeed, they did indeed mail it back. The phone died, so they actually had to buy a charger. But they were true to their word. They they mailed it back. Nice. And the other thing which isn't allowed nowadays, which I know we brought up at the Coliseum task in mm. El Gem, because remember, one teammate would go in and the other teammate was just like standing yeah. screaming. Yeah. So that is not allowed nowadays. And where else that showed up was the dunking head task, like jumping into the ice water. Okay. And Because remember, Brennan jumped in but didn't like just like and submerged his head but then jumped out and forgot the clue so he said he was so focused on submerging his head that he didn't didn't even like notice the clue and rob was actually the one who had to yell back to him like you forgot the clue and he was like that wouldn't be allowed nowadays oh oh really wow because that's considered your teammate helping you yeah brennan would have had to figure it out he'd have to like be like oh where's the i mean it wouldn't be hard to figure out but it's just those little details yeah i mean post race i mentioned they're both doing well Brennan joked that he kind of tried to do the typical reality TV show winner thing, quit his job for a bit. Yeah. I think he said him and someone from season two or three were starting to or were trying to start a reality contestant union. I don't know if he was joking or not. <laughs> that sounds like a joke, but I don't. I can't read sarcasm very well, so I'm gonna assume it was a joke. Yeah, they're <laughs> like, doing what well. What do they even need a union for? I don't know. Brennan, I will say, I think he's verified on Instagram, even though he only has like 6,000 followers. Well, good for him. Yeah, there's a lot of photos of him and Rob nowadays, too. So, like, Look those up if you're interested, yeah, I guess. Brennan, it's under his full name. And I'll kind of close this off with, um, you remember how we talked about the hat? Yes. Um, so he said they really had expected a memory task, which is very oh, common really? now. Wow. But it wasn't the case. I don't know if he meant directly, like, in correlation with the names on the hat, but they fully expected a memory task. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. of, like, the entire race of having to recap it. Yeah, no, other than that, I don't have a lot of, a lot more notes on that. Do you have anything to add? No, I don't, I mean... (laughs) Well, I'll close it off with this, because I feel like this ties well into the future of our podcast, is... 
Brennan in the oral history interview said he's actually not happy or not happy, but he prefers the way he ran the race, which was very travel based. Mm -hmm. And he says now it's all about the tasks, which I think you and I, because we've watched it always being uh, focused around tasks is what we prefer. But I do see where he's coming from. Yeah. Because he says, you know, tasks were more important or na- tasks were important, but it was always about travel and you right. would lose a lot of time or you'd make Based a lot of mistakes. Based on travel. Yeah. Yeah. Which was kind of an interesting perspective to consider. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, why don't we... So there's all the teams. That's season one. That's season one. We're almost ready to shelve this, but I think we should go into our favorites and least favorites. Yes. What we think of some certain things. So first off, leg. What was your favorite leg? Probably like three through five because we kind of narrowed yeah. down teams. You got a better sense of everybody's personalities. And I don't I, I just liked Southern France as, and Tunisia as settings. Like yeah. I, I really liked the settings. What yeah. about you? Favorite leg? I agree. I like, I like that stretch as well. I do like leg six. I think the airport dramas with the strike in Rome was really interesting. I love me some airport drama. Um, and with the, the whole Guido's thing, with them blocking the other teams getting through customs. Um, I think that was a really character-defining moment for them for the season. And I like the locations of both Tunisia and Italy. I think that's cool. I still think, because again, we recorded this twice. This is our second time recording this. Yeah. But the first time we recorded it, Andrew was in the location. I was in Italy. You were at International Aeroporto. I was at International Aeroporto. Aeroporto. Sure. Episode 7 title, if yeah. you're wondering. Season 1. And then, moving to our least favorite leg, I think we both have the same one here. Episode 10. Yep. Was so boring. It, it was, was a non-elimination. There was no stakes. It was awful. Like, oh, okay, that was Thailand, right? Yeah. <laughs> that was Thailand. Yeah. Yes, yes. It, beautiful. Like, it was beautiful. The yeah. beaches, everything. Nothing against Thailand, but the tasks and the fact that, like... Those last couple stretches of just trying to get all these non-eliminations yeah. in when you have like four or uh, five teams. Why are we doing that? It yeah. was horrible. Yeah. Yeah, it was bad. And yeah, I just wanted to keep going, eliminate a couple people and finish the race at that point. And there was no, inter- nobody was interacting with each other. Everybody was just kind of doing their own separate things. The only saving grace was Kevin and Drew giving us some comedic interaction be- amongst one another. So what was your favorite task? Favorite task? I have kind of two, because one was the ice climbing one, actually, in the second last oh, one. Yes. I thought, like, in terms of a physical, but also kind of meant, like, there's a, a great physical element, but there's also quite a, like, a strong mental component. I thought it was great. I thought it was high stakes, because they were both there at the same time. Yeah. It's nice when you can have two people doing that task at the same time. I mm-hmm. thought that was really fun. And also the rat one. I just thought it was such oh, a unique yeah, task. Oh, yeah, that is cool. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was fun as well. How I about agree. You? I think those are two good ones, but I think... The most exciting, my favorite task is the fast forward task in leg nine between showdown between Nancy and Emily and Team Guido, where they had to pl- place the coins in the urn. Now, I don't think it's objectively the most interesting task because literally just placing coins in an urn, and it's but, so, so luck based. Yeah, but due to circumstances, I think it was the most entertaining one of the season because it had such high stakes. Because it was literally between. Well, this is not how it ended up, but it was between winning the leg or getting eliminated. That were yeah. the stakes of this one task, and watching them run back and forth, I thought it was a lot of fun. That was such high anxiety. I oh, I hated it yeah. for that reason, no. but it was it was a good task. It was great. How about least favorite task? Let's go to Paris. Folk calls pendulum. Pat and Brenda was the worst task. I mean, any detour really were bad this season. 
because all they all followed the same format. There, the, a lot of the detours, there weren't actual tasks. It was just go to go to this place, which is harder to go to, but it's quicker, or this place, which is easier to go to, or it's slower. Or in the case of the Focal's Pendulum, it's go to this place, but there's actually two of them, and we're not going to tell you which one to go to, and just don't go to the wrong one, and you have to figure that out on your own. And if you go to the wrong one, you'll get eliminated for no reason. I honestly, (laughs) like, this is my least favorite task, but continuing with the Paris theme, none of the tasks there were particularly good for the location, other than, like, the climbing the Eiffel Tower one and looking. Yeah. Like, Brennan actually said that to him, the dumbest task was the sewer one. Um, because they that. couldn't pass people. Right. Which he said there was a lot of that in the season. A lot of the kind of the linear tasks, like not, you're not able to over yes. overlap. Um, and I'd have to agree. But although most of the time, even, even the, the fast forward in Paris, like the T one. Yeah. You to just, me that wasn't, yeah. like, it was so uninteresting. Um, yeah. But none of those are my least favorite. My least favorite, which I know you brought up, was, was it like a le- 10? No, it was like 11. It was the public transit oh thing my God, yeah. in China because, as you said, yeah. you're in Beijing, and the best you can come up with is ride public transit. <laughs> Take the bus. <clears throat> yeah, no, I'd have to agree. I think they could have done a little more there. Uh, how about your favorite location? I really liked the location of Zambia. I think it was cool. You have Victoria Falls. You had Songway Batoka Village. George. Batoka George, yes. People swinging off Batoka George. I think them driving themselves was a lot of fun. I think there was a lot of fun things that they did. With that location. I would have to go with Tunisia, just because... Yes. I, I mean, I liked the kind of Star Wars references. Oh. I liked that whole thing. But it's also just a cool place. Yeah. And the driving in the desert was cool also. Yeah, that's... It, like, it went on too long. It but did. it was a neat concept. I didn't really have a least favorite location, I'd say. Because they were all cool. Yeah, I don't have a least favorite either. But if I had to choose... Honestly, France is quite uninteresting. Paris, like, I'd just say Paris wasn't great overall. Yeah. But that was mostly the tasks. Yeah, that's true. Um, how about favorite moment? Now, I, re- I read this from like a comedic or entertainment value standpoint. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I didn't do comedic. I did like more of entertainment and value. But well, first of all, anytime Margareta was on the screen was my favorite moment. <laughs> but for realsies, it was in leg nine. It was when the Guidos realized that they were in last place at the pit stop. Oh, because they sat them and Nancy and Emily Nancy around and Emily this down table. And they had the family meeting and the Guidos were so confused because they were convinced that they were in first place. And the whole commentary that they were giving while they were in it of, of how earth shattering it was to them and how they said that they thought it was going to be like one of the worst moments of their lives. And after winning the fast forward them being in last place. Um, that was insane. It was a really great moment. Very dramatic. Uh, yeah, you know what? That that one's definitely up there for me. But I, coming from, again, I read this from a comedic yeah. standpoint. I would have to go with the fence jumping at <laughs> the Great Wall of China because it was just so funny. Like, you, I do. That's such just, a weird thing it's to reference. So, but it's so common sense. You would think if something is blocked off and you have to jump over, these fences were tall. They, they yeah. were, you know, five feet tall, maybe four, yeah. feet, four and a half feet tall. And there's no entrance. You think if you have to jump over this fence, use a trash can to boost yourself over, there's not going <laughs> to be a clue there. That's probably not a good idea. And there was just so much fence jumping. I just thought it was hilarious. That's so interesting because I feel like most people would not even remember that moment. No, from it's, season. it's iconic for me. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we're getting to the end, but I just want to bring up one more thing here. Okay. 
I, th- I believe in episode one, we made predictions about who we would win or who oh. we thought would win. Okay, of course you're bringing this one up, yeah. Of course, because <laughs> I, you said Kevin and Drew. No. Oh, oh no, sorry. You said... Um, Team Guido. Team Guido, which honestly good... And I said Rob and Brennan. Yeah. So both of them really good bets. And honestly, I think if there wasn't the whole thing with the Guidos, like that, remember them winning the fast forward but yeah. being placed behind? I think, I think, think they, they would have won. won. I think yeah, they I do. But... I was right, you were. which I'm very proud of. Yeah, and yeah, that's the note. I guess we're gonna end on that. You're right. I'm wrong. Wow. Oh well, not, not okay. I don't mean it like that. I okay. just mean that you're better than me. Oh please. <laughs> I just mean I think it's cool that we were both very close to being accurate. Yes. Yeah, and that we were able to clock it right at the beginning. Yeah. Who the strongest teams were, but well, this will be a long episode, and we're so again we're sorry that it was so delayed. Yeah. Lots of things going on. Lots of lots of lots of things in play. But we hope you enjoy. We don't know exactly what day this will be posted, but we can guarantee that we will be back with season two on January 9th. Yeah, mark and, on your calendar, folks. Yeah, we're back and we're bigger than ever. I'm ready to talk about some new people. We have rung this season dry. I'm ready for some new content, new material. I am too. I am too. We will post all the links to everything we talked about, all our sources in the description. So if you want to check them out, I would highly recommend it. And yeah, Yeah. I don't have anything else to say. Farewell to season one. This concludes our season one coverage. Yeah. Okay. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Thank you for over 1,200 subscribers or 1,200 downloads. Yay for that. Woohoo. <laughs> okay. Bye. We, we'll see you season two. Bye.